Section two of Elizabethan Demonology by Thomas Alfred Spaulding. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Eva Davis. Section two. The empire of the supernatural must obviously be most extended where civilization is the least advanced. An educated man has to make a conscious and sometimes severe effort to refrain from pronouncing a dogmatic opinion as to the cause of a given result when sufficient evidence to warrant a definite conclusion is wanting to the savage the notion of any necessity for or advantage to be derived from such self-restraint never once occurs neither the lightning that strikes his hut the blight that withers his crops the disease that destroys the life of those he loves nor on the other hand the beneficent sunshine or life-giving rain is by him traceable to any known physical cause they are the results of influences utterly beyond his understanding supernatural matters upon which imagination is allowed free scope to run riot and from which spring up a legion of myths or attempts to represent in some manner these incomprehensible processes grotesque or poetic according to the character of the people with which they originate which if their growth be not disturbed by extraneous influences eventually develop into the national creed the most ordinary events of the savage's everyday life do not admit of a natural solution his whole existence is bound in from birth to death by a network of miracles and regulated in its smallest details by unseen powers of whom he knows little or nothing hence it is that in primitive societies the functions of legislator judge priest and medicine man are all combined in one individual the great medium of communication between man and the unknown whose person is preeminently sacred the laws that are to guide the community come in some mysterious manner through him from the higher powers if two members of the clan are involved in a quarrel he is appealed to to apply some test in order to ascertain which of the two is in the wrong an ordeal that can have no judicial operation except on the assumption of the existence of omnipotent beings interested in the discovery of evil-doers who will prevent the test from operating unjustly maladies and famines are unmistakable signs of the displeasure of the good or spite of the bad spirits and are to be averted by some propitiatory act on the part of the sufferers or the mediation of the priest doctor the remedy that would put an end to a long-continued drought will be equally effective in arresting an epidemic but who and of what nature are these supernatural powers whose influences are thus brought to bear upon everyday life and who appear to take such an interest in the affairs of mankind it seems that there are three great principles at work in the evolution and modification of the ideas upon this subject which must now be shortly stated the first of these is the apparent incapacity of the majority of mankind to accept a purely monotheistic creed it is a demonstrable fact that the primitive religions now open to observation attribute specific events and results to distinct supernatural beings and there can be little doubt that this is the initial step in every creed 
it is a bold and somewhat perilous revolution to attempt to overturn this doctrine and to set up monotheism in its place and when successfully accomplished is rarely permanent the more educated portions of the community maintain allegiance to the new teaching perhaps but among the lower classes it soon becomes degraded to or amalgamated with some form of polytheism more or less pronounced and either secret or declared even the jews the nation the most conspicuous for its supposed uncompromising adherence to a monotheistic creed cannot claim absolute freedom from taint in this respect for in the country places far from the centre of worship the people were constantly following after strange gods and even some of their most notable worthies were liable to the same accusation it is not necessary however that the individuality and specialization of function of the supreme beings recognized by any religious system should be so conspicuous as they are in this case or in the greek or roman pantheon to mark it as in its essence polytheistic or of polytheistic tendency it is quite enough that the immortals are deemed to be capable of hearing and answering the prayers of their adorers and of interfering actively in passing events either for good or for evil this at the root of it constitutes the crucial difference between polytheism and monotheism and in this sense the roman catholic form of christianity representing the oldest undisturbed evolution of a strictly monotheistic doctrine is undeniably polytheistic apart from the virgin mary there is a whole hierarchy of inferior deities saints and angels subordinate to the one supreme being this may possibly be denied by the authorized expounders of the doctrine of the church of rome but it is nevertheless certain that it is the view taken by the uneducated classes with whom the saints are much more present and definite deities than even the almighty himself it is worth noting that during the dancing mania of fourteen eighteen not god or christ or the virgin mary but saint vitus was prayed to by the populace to stop the epidemic that was afterwards known by his name there was a temple to saint michael on mount saint angelo and augustine thought it necessary to declare that angel worshippers were heretics even protestantism though a much younger growth than catholicism shows a slight tendency toward polytheism the saints are of course quite out of the question and angels are as far as possible relegated from the citadel of asserted belief into the vaguer regions of poetical sentimentality but although again unadmitted by the orthodox of the sect the popular conception of christ is and until the masses are more educated in theological niceties than they are at present necessarily must be as of a supreme being totally distinct from god the father this applies in a less degree to the third person in the trinity less because his individuality is less clear george eliot has with her usual penetration noted this fact in silas marner where in mrs winthrop's simple theological system the trinity is always referred to as them
the posthumous history of francis of assisi affords a striking illustration of this strange tendency towards polytheism this extraordinary man received no little reverence and adulation during his lifetime but it was not until after his death that the process of deification commenced it was then discovered that the stigmata were not the only points of resemblance between the departed saint and the divine master he professed to follow that his birth had been foretold by the prophets that like christ he underwent transfiguration and that he had worked miracles during his life the climax of the apotheosis was reached in fourteen eighty six when a monk preaching at paris seriously maintained that saint francis was in very truth a second christ the second son of god and that after his death he descended into purgatory and liberated all the spirits confined there who had the good fortune to be arrayed in the franciscan garb the second principle is that of the manichaeists the division of spirits into hostile camps good and evil this is a much more common belief than the orthodox are willing to allow there is hardly any religious system that does not recognize a first source of evil as well as a first source of good but the spirit of evil occupies a position of varying importance in some systems he maintains himself as a co-equal of the spirit of good in others he sinks to a lower stage remaining very powerful to do harm but nevertheless under the control in matters of the highest importance of the more beneficent being in each of these cases the first principle is found operating ever augmenting the ranks monodiabolism being as impossible as monotheism and hence the importance of fully establishing that proposition the last and most important of these principles is the tendency of all theological systems to absorb into themselves the deities extraneous to themselves not as gods but as inferior or even evil spirits the actual existence of the foreign deity is not for a moment disputed the presumption in favour of innumerable spiritual agencies being far too strong to allow the possibility of such a doubt but just as the alien is looked upon as an inferior being created chiefly for the use and benefit of the chosen people and what nation is not if its opinion of itself may be relied upon a chosen people so the god the alien worships is a spirit of inferior power and capacity and can be recognized solely as occupying a position subordinate to that of the gods of the land this principle has such an important influence in the elaboration of the belief in demons that it is worth while to illustrate the generality of its application in the greek system of theology we find in the first place a number of deities of varying importance and power whose special functions are defined with some distinctness and then below these an innumerable band of spirits the souls of the departed probably the relics of an earlier pure ancestor worship who still interest themselves in the inhabitants of this world these greek daimones were certainly accredited with supernatural power and were not of necessity either good or evil in their influence or action it was to this second class that foreign deities were assimilated they found it impossible however to retain even this humble position 
the ceremonies of their worship and the language in which those ceremonies were performed were strange to the inhabitants of the land in which the acclimatization was attempted and the incomprehensible is first suspected then loathed it is not surprising then that the newcomers soon fell into the ranks of purely evil spirits and that those who persisted in exercising their rights were stigmatized as devil worshippers or magicians but in process of time this polytheistic system became preeminently unsatisfactory to the thoughtful men whom greece produced in such numbers the tendency towards monotheism which is usually associated with the name of plato is hinted at in the writings of other philosophers who were his predecessors the effect of this revolution was to recognize one supreme being the first cause and to subordinate to him all the other deities of the ancient and popular theology to coordinate them in fact with the older class of demons the first step in the descent to the lowest category of all the history of the neoplatonic belief is one of elaboration upon these ideas the conception of the supreme being was complicated in a manner closely resembling the idea of the christian trinity and all the subordinate demons were classified into good and evil geniuses thus a theoretically monotheistic system was established with a tremendous hierarchy of inferior spirits who frequently bore the names of the ancient gods and goddesses of egypt greece and rome strikingly resembling that of roman catholicism the subordinate demons were not at first recognized as entitled to any religious rites but in the course of time by the inevitable operation of the first principle just enunciated a form of theurgy sprang up with the object of attracting the kindly help and patronage of the good spirits and was tolerated and attempts were made to hold intercourse with the evil spirits which were as far as possible suppressed and discountenanced the history of the operation of this principle upon the jewish religion is very similar and extremely interesting although they do not seem to have ever had any system of ancestor worship as the greeks had yet the jews appear originally to have recognized the deities of their neighbors as existing spirits but inferior in power to the god of israel all the gods of the nations are idols are words that entirely fail to convey the idea of the psalmist for the word translated idols is elohim the very term usually employed to designate jehovah and the true sense of the passage therefore is all the gods of the nations are gods but jehovah made the heavens in another place we read that the lord is a great god and a great king above all gods as however the jews gradually became acquainted with the barbarous rites with which their neighbors did honor to their gods the foreigners seemed to have fallen more and more in estimation until they came to be classed as evil spirits to this process such names as beelzebub moloch ashtaroth and belial bear witness beelzebub the prince of the devils of later time being one of the gods of the hostile philistines the introduction of christianity made no difference in this respect paul says to the believers at corinth that the things which the gentiles sacrifice they sacrifice to devils greek 
daimonia and not to god and i would not that ye should have fellowship with devils and the septuagint renders the word elohim in the ninety-fifth psalm by this greek daimonia which as the christians had already a distinct term for good spirits came to be applied to evil ones only under the influence therefore of the new religion the gods of greece and rome who in the days of their supremacy had degraded so many foreign deities to the position of demons were in their turn deposed from their high estate and became the nucleus around which the christian belief in demonology formed itself the gods who under the old theologies reigned paramount in the lower regions became pre-eminently diabolic in character in the new system and it was hecate who to the last retained her position of active patroness and encourager of witchcraft a practice which became almost indissolubly connected with her name numerous instances of the completeness with which this process of diabolization was effected and the firmness with which it retained its hold upon the popular belief even to late times might be given but the following must suffice in one of the miracle plays the conversion of saul a council of devils is held at which mercury appears as the messenger of belial but this absolute rejection of every pagan belief and ceremony was characteristic of the christian church in its infancy only so long as the band of believers was a small and persecuted one no temptation to violate the rule could exist but as the church grew and acquired influence and position it discovered that good policy demanded that the sternness and inflexibility of its youthful theories should undergo some modification it found that it was not the most successful method of enticing stragglers into its fold to stigmatize the gods they ignorantly worshipped as devils and to persecute them as magicians the more impetuous and enthusiastic supporters did persecute and persecute most relentlessly the adherents of the dying faith but persecution whether of good or evil always fails as a means of suppressing a hated doctrine unless it can be carried to the extent of extermination of its supporters and the more far-seeing leaders of the catholic church soon recognized that a slight surrender of principle was a far surer road to success than stubborn uncompromising opposition it was in this spirit that the catholics dealt with the oracles of heathendom mr lecky is hardly correct when he says that nothing analogous to the ancient oracles was incorporated with christianity there is the notable case of the god Sisthenian, whom constantine identified with the archangel michael and whose oracular functions were continued in a precisely similar manner by the latter oracles that were not thus absorbed and supported were recognized as existent but under diabolic control and to be tolerated if not patronized by the representatives of the dominant religion the oracle at delphi gave forth prophetic utterances for centuries after the commencement of the christian era and was the less dangerous as its operations could be stopped at any moment by holding a saintly relic to the god or devil apollo's nose there is a fable that st gregory in the course of his travels passed near the oracle and his extraordinary sanctity was such as to prevent all subsequent utterances this so disturbed the presiding genius of the place 
that he appealed to the saint to undo the baneful effects his presence had produced and gregory benevolently wrote a letter to the devil which was in fact a license to continue the business of prophesying unmolested this nonsensical fiction shows clearly enough that the oracles were not generally looked upon as extinguished by christianity as the result of a similar policy we find the names and functions of the pagan gods and the earlier christian saints confused in the most extraordinary manner the saints assuming the duties of the moribund deities where those duties were of a harmless or necessary character the church carried out exactly the same principles in her missionary efforts among the heathen hordes of northern europe do you renounce the devils and all their words and works thoner woden and saxonot was part of the form of recantation administered to the scandinavian converts and at the present day odin take you is the norse equivalent of the devil take you on the other hand an attempt was made to identify balter the beautiful with christ a confusion of character that may go far towards accounting for a custom joyously observed by our forefathers at christmas-tide but which the false modesty of modern society has nearly succeeded in banishing from amongst us for balter was slain by loki with a branch of mistletoe and christ was betrayed by judas with a kiss upon the conversion of the inhabitants of great britain to christianity the native deities underwent the same inevitable fate and sank into the rank of evil spirits perhaps the juster opinion is that they became the progenitors of our fairy mythology rather than the subsequent devil lore although the similarity between these two classes of spirits is sufficient to warrant us in classing them as species of the same genus their characters and functions being perfectly interchangeable and even at times merging and becoming indistinguishable a certain lurking affection in the new converts for the religion they had deserted perhaps under compulsion may have led them to look upon their ancient objects of veneration as less detestable in nature and dangerous in act than the devils imported as an integral portion of their adopted faith and so originated this class of spirits less evil than the other sir walter scott may be correct in his assertion that many of these fairy myths owe their origin to the existence of a diminutive autochthonic race that was conquered by the invading celts and the remnants of which lurked about the mountains and forests and excited in their victors a superstitious reverence on account of their great skill in metallurgy but this will not explain the retention of many of the old god names that of the doozy the celtic nocturnal spirits in our word deuce and that of the neck or water spirits in nixie and old nick these words undoubtedly indicate the accomplishment of the faxilis discensis avernal by the native deities elves brownies gnomes and trolds were all at one time scotch or irish gods the trolds obtained a character similar to that of the more modern succubus and have left their impression upon elizabethan english in the word trull end of section two